Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ben, and in this episode of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast, we're talking to a man who is blazing the path for future generations of barbecue lovers in Australia. Hey family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. Today we are in for a treat. We've got Rob Thraves from Smoking Hot and Saucy here. He's a competitor turned vendor turned barbecue joint owner turned promoter. I mean, he's just hitting at this at all angles. Um, so now Rob was last on the show way back in episode 21 and so we got his backstory there. And so today we're going to pick up from that point and we're going to move forwards from there. So that's all the way back in 2018. And so at, the, at that point in 2018, Rob had just bought a bus and was doing a big fit out on a bus and uh, things have been escalating quickly since then so we're going to have a ton to talk about. Now before we get into that I do have a couple of quick announcements I just need to run by you. The first is that I'd like to thank Jagged for coming on board as our podcast partner for this episode. They are smoker manufacturers based out of Western Australia. So if you're in the market for a new smoker or new grill, they do some fantastic work, some custom kitchen fit-outs, incredible gear. I've got one of their smoker ovens in the backyard right now. I'm shooting some videos for them on it, and it is great stuff. So do yourself a favor, check them out. If you're just at the beginning of your journey, head on over to the smokinghotconfessions.com website, pick up your free copy of our ebook, The Beginner's Guide to Real Barbecue. You're going to find in that book all the information you need to go from zero to hero in low and slow barbecue. It's a really good read, recently awarded by the NBBQA over in the United States. So do check that out. It's completely free. And a big welcome today to people that are joining us for this live podcast recording with Rob. We do these in the Smoking Hot Confessions barbecue community over on Facebook. It's a barbecue group, which, surprise, surprise, we just hang out and talk about barbecue. All the other guff is left at the door. So if you're looking for somewhere family-friendly to come hang out and just talk about barbecue, we'd love to see you there. If you're catching this later on on the, uh, on the replays on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, the subscribes, and hit the notification bell. On Facebook, it's all about the likes, the comments, and the shares, particularly the comments and the shares. They're particularly important. Over on Instagram TV, it's all about the love hearts, the comments, and the follows. And if you are listening on a podcasting app at a later date, do take two minutes of your time. Give us a five-star rating and review. It really helps to push us up those podcasting charts. But I think that's probably about all you need to hear out of me. It's time to get Rob in here. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long has it been since your last confession? G'day, Rob. How are you, mate? Welcome back to the confessional. Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me back. Anytime, anytime. Now, I usually kick off the, the same question for every guest. Now, given that you cook barbecue every day, I'm going to just change it a little bit. What was the last thing that you barbecued for yourself? Uh, last thing we cooked for ourselves, um, we actually cooked some chicken wings. Um, so last Thursday, my daughter turned 11 and, um, she wanted some chicken wings. So we fired up the weather, um, got some, um, some, some charcoal running. And then we just basically just sort of indirect heat, cooked some chicken wings with one of our, um, new rubs on it. And, um, yeah, just sourced them up and served them around to the people that come out for the birthday. Yeah. That's, that's probably the last thing we cooked for ourselves, but. Generally, we're cooking for everyone else, so we try and um, when we barbecue, we try and barbecue fish, chicken, um, not so much heavy meats, really. Try and go for the lighter stuff. Is that just uh, like like a health conscious choice? <laughs> oh yeah, I guess once you 
when you're cooking 50, 60 briskets a week, you, um, you sort of like go try and cook a brisket for yourself every so often. So, um, yeah, probably a bit of a health conscious choice and also just for something different. Yeah, yeah. Now, you just mentioned fish there as well. That's something I'm quite interested in because I'm uh, here on the Gold Coast here. We've got the fishing trawlers just down the street. Yeah. What What are some of your favourite uh, fish dishes to prepare at home? Um, I really like smoked salmon, hot smoked salmon. Um, whether you brine your salmon, like get a whole piece or fillets, whether you brine it for a couple of days beforehand, um, whether you make up a nice salt water brine, um, salt, sugar, water, some orange zest, some, some slices of lime and, and, you know, get that acidity in there as well. Um, or just pull it out, rub it, throw it in there with a hot smoke, 250 degrees Fahrenheit and cook it till it's pretty rare, about 120, 125 internal and just eat it. Yeah, I think salmon's a really, really forgiving fish um, as long as you don't go too hot um, and cook it too far. And the other one I really like to do is um, garlic butter oysters. So mix up a bit Ooh. of garlic, fresh crushed garlic, bit of butter, um, bit of tarragon in there as well. And then basically just hot charcoal, put your oysters on the grill, whether it's a um, Weber or in the offset, just run it pretty hot. Um, and then top it as they're cooking along with a little bit of that garlic butter solution, only for a couple of minutes, and then pull them out. And, yeah, I've devoured hundreds of those. They're awesome. <laughs> now, one of the things that was really popular when I was over in New Orleans was flame-grilled oysters, and they'd sort of they'd top up the oysters to the point of overflowing and then just kind of let that go down onto the flames and then up the outside. Yeah. Do you get as theatrical as that? Oh, yeah, it can, yeah. I um, Well, to tell you the truth, my kids wouldn't eat oysters if they were just raw. Like we'd, you know, every couple of weeks we might get a dozen oysters and have some have a bit of an entree, but my kids wouldn't touch them. But if I do them this way, the kids, I can't get any of them. The kids eat them all. So um, they're pretty good. And, and it does have a bit of theatrics, that butter dripping down on the flames, on the charcoal, and, you know, you get that little bit of char smell and um, a bit of flavour, so it's good. Beautiful, man. Love that. So now I um, was just uh, mentioning in the introduction. So you were last on the show in 2018 and yep. uh, we finished out that episode. The last thing we talked about was you just bought the bus and you were fitting it out. So let's let's start there. Let's go back to 2018. So you just fitted out the bus. Where yep. are we up to there? So we fitted out the bus in 2018. Um, we got on the road. Uh, we sort of went everywhere with it, wherever we could go. Um, you know, Gold Coast. Did a barbecue fest at the Gold Coast, Coffs Harbour, Woolgoolga. Um, did a Port Macquarie up and down the East Coast, all the way down to Wollongong. I uh, went to Melbourne. And we, we, we probably didn't do, you know, we were pretty gung-ho about what we did. So we bought an old bus. We stuck a lot of equipment in it, which is heavy. Um, we stuck a 800-kilo offset smoker in the back. And then we went <laughs> driving, up and down the, driving up and down the East Coast of Australia and, out to Mudgee and all sorts of places, Canberra, you name it, we went. And um, if there was a festival on every weekend, it was on the road. And then we just started breaking down all the time. And um, so we ended up spending more, a lot of money on trying to get the bus up and running mechanically. And we decided, well, let's just lease a block of land and park the bus on it. And so basically we probably spent nine months travelling with the bus and then it was broken down for about two and a half months, three months, whilst we were trying to find a block of land to go onto. Um, and when you're just starting out, you you sort of you need to be operational every weekend to be able to make money. And um, so it was a bit of a tough time. But we also had the backup of a couple of mobile setups with a couple of trailers and stuff that we could go and do the events that we had already planned. Um, albeit the bus was one of our it was our you know that was our flagship thing that we wanted. Um, 
So we found a block of land in Islington, Newcastle, and we leased that block of land. And um, basically, we could park the bus on there and start trading straight away. So um, November the 6th of that year, um, we parked the bus up and then we opened up that Friday um, to like a tailgate party. So not knowing anyone would come, not knowing anything, we cooked some food, went down, we opened the gates and we opened the awnings of the bus and we sort of sat there for about 45 minutes and not one person came in and I was like, oh, this is not good. And I, was, you know, I was hoping for a lineup out the gate before we opened and anyway, fast forward about 45 minutes later, cars started driving in and they would pull up in the vacant used car lot that we had leased and they'd eat out of their tailgates. And um, it sort of became a tailgate location where people would tailgate party at the lot, eating barbecue. And then um, then we decided, well, we probably need to get um, some tables. So we bought a whole heap of um, like well-made sort of picnic tables. They're still there today. And then we had sit-down seating. We put in the DA with the council to extend our trading hours because we're operating for the first little bit under the exemption clauses that you have in New South Wales, which basically means you can operate from 7 to 7, Monday to Friday, without any um, council approval. Oh, wow. On land. Oh. Um, so we, then we extended the hours and trade on the weekends. Um, we've grown it so much that it, um, yeah, we've outgrown um, the lot, um, obviously, 2020 and 2021 with the lockdowns and restrictions, um, we've had to make massive changes down there. Um, we had big plans in 2020 um, that we've just paused um, in Newcastle um, and basically hopefully the back end of 2021, some of those can come to fruition and um, we can hit the ground running in 2022. Yeah, yeah. So what, what were some of the big plans there for, for Newcastle or are you not able to reveal them just yet? Oh, no, no, no. It's- we we um we basically want to make it more of a permanent location, so the bus will get semi-retired, um, and we've got a full commercial kitchen, um, which is a barbecue set up kitchen. So it's set up for just cooking barbecue. Um, will be dropped in its place, so it's two forty-foot shipping containers, um, fully fitted out um, to standard, which will basically drop in behind it, and then we're going to have a full um, container-style roof go between two 20-foot containers. One houses our 1,000-gallon offset Big Tex, which came from America. Um, and the other one will be just a merchandise-style um, setup with glass doors so you can come and get all your barbecue rub sauces, all your cold meats and raw cuts to, to cook proteins will all be available for people in store to come pick up. Um, so it'll be a one-stop shop for barbecue paraphernalia and also get Texas barbecue as well. Man, that sounds incredible. And it sounds like you're, uh, like, like you're modeling it off a lot of the, uh, the, the roadside barbecue joints in, in Texas, which are always the best ones to stop at. We, that's what we wanted. We don't, we don't really want to have a, um, a, uh, you know, it's our first one. And we always wanted it to be that roadside style, roadside style barbecue store. Um, so, yeah, it'll be undercover and it'll be weatherproof and things like that, but we certainly don't want it to be a, a sit-down restaurant feel. Um, you know, you're going to be eating off a steel tray or a cardboard box and, um, you know, that's something that a lot of people probably don't um, uh, understand when they come in. They probably 
they probably look at what we're doing and think, oh, I'm eating off a steel tray or a cardboard box. This can't be any good. And then generally the feedback always is, it's like, wow, I've never eaten anything like that before out of a cardboard box. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, it's, it's been a long journey. Um, the last three years, it feels like it's been 30 years. But, um, you know, it's, um, it, we're on this sort of trend in 2018, 2019, at the start of 2020, which was just unbelievable. You know, like, the, you know, 2,500, 3,000 people a week coming through the lot. Um, wow. And, yeah, massive amount of numbers, just huge. Um, and now, you know, due to lockdowns and restrictions and stuff like that in New South Wales and in Newcastle, um, we've cut our hours back just to Friday and Saturdays. Um, so we used to trade Wednesday through Sunday. And now we're just trading two days a week. Just, you know, we're still doing massive numbers now. Just takeaway only. There's no sit down. Um, it's quite incredible the amount of people that are still supporting us. Um, and we love that. You know, the support's been really good. Um, doesn't make it any easier. Um, you know, every, every week you've got bills coming in and you've got to pay your staff. But, um, you know, we've tried to, in 2020, we just, our, our ultimate goal in 2020 was to keep everyone employed. So whoever we had on the books, they wanted to stay employed. We just worked out ways of keeping them on, on the payroll. And then 2021, we've had to make a few changes and some people have left and some people have stayed. And um, we, we'll carry on with how we're operating. So, Yeah, I think when all that started, it... Um People were sort of not too sure, but it's uh, we're having to find some long-term solutions to some of these problems, aren't we? Yeah, well, we were in Melbourne for our meat stock with Jay Beaumont. And, um, That's right. Um, it was the weekend of the Grand Prix and the Melbourne meat stock. And, um, you know, we had taken Jolene on the, on the truck down there and we'd hired a heap of equipment. And, you know, we, were, we had fired up Jolene. So we were in the process of on a Friday afternoon about 4.30 to start trimming briskets and put briskets in. and um, and then they came down and told us that they were going to cancel it. And, uh, you know, as heartbreaking as it was, I think it was the right decision. And, um, you know, but we were probably, at that point in time, probably 38 grand in to, um, to being down there for that event. And, um, wow. And then it just it sort of snowballed trying to get home. We, um, oh, we come back on Monday morning to pack up and after drinking ourselves and leaning ourselves around Melbourne for the weekend, um, come back to a flat tyre and, and then the guy changing the tyre, ruling the wheel studs on the, on the front of the truck. And it was just a, yeah, it was about a three-day journey to get home after it. <laughs> so a lot, wow. of time to sit in, a lot of time to sit in the truck with my mate Dion Allen and just discussing about how we're going to come out of this, this um, situation we'd found ourselves in and how we're going to operate, and, um, which was probably a good thing. It gave us a lot of time to think and chat and talk and strategize. Um, but we've been able to keep growing since that point. So. Um, yeah, it was tough. And then obviously we lost smoke and broke in 2020. Um, couldn't, couldn't hold it um, due to what was going on. So, you know, that's our flagship event every year. Um, and, you know, we've done a lot of work to that point because it takes about eight months of work to, to throw on an event that size. Um, so basically it was sort of just put that aside and park it and hopefully we could have it in 2021, which this year we were, fun- we were fortunate enough to um, be able to hold smoke and break, which is really, really good. And then pretty much two weeks after smoke and break was run, um, the world got flipped on its head again and here we are. So, Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Now, some of that growth that, that, that you were just speaking about during the last 18 months, you've actually managed to, to open two more locations, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. So 
Um, Penrith, um, the boys at Rusty Penny Brewing, Matt and Mark, approached me about three years ago after meat stock and they were interested in buying a smoker and learning how to cook barbecue um, to be able to open up a bigger location with barbecue. Through some discussions and um, some opportunity, I thought maybe it was an opportunity for us to move into Penrith and, and have a crack at that Sydney market, that Western Sydney market. And um, we'd done a couple of successful sort of events out that way before. And, um, and so I was pretty keen. Anyway, my wife and I, Randy, we're business partners. So we sat down and we thought, well, let's just have a go. Like, you know, what's the worst could happen? So we, um, we announced we were going down there and we started to, we, you know, we found the location. Um, we've done the DA with the boys and um, submitted all that sort of stuff. And then obviously um, everything's just been delayed due to the last, you know, as you know, the world's been put on hold somewhat. Um, and then due to the delaying, we'd started operating at the smaller brewery out of our trailer um, on Fridays and Saturdays. And that was really, really good. Um, the support was phenomenal. Um, people love the food, um, love what we're trying to do and could see the growth of where we we're going to go. Um, and as, the, as I said before, Ben, we had a meeting yesterday where um, at the new location, the concrete slabs are going to be cut to put all the plumbing draining in. And um, so within about another week and a half, two weeks, we'll actually start erecting walls for the kitchen and um, with an opening date at the back end of the year. So Texas barbecue or smoking hot and saucy Texas barbecue will be coming to Penrith with a full fitted out commercial barbecue kitchen by the end of the year. So, and paired with some really cracking beers from the guys at Rusty Penny Brewing. Mate, that's really exciting. Well done on that. Yeah. So pretty, pretty keen to get down there. It's, um, you know, it's certainly different to the, to the, um, to the Newcastle market a little bit. Um, where we're located in Penrith, we're sort of fairly isolated from the, um, from the other food areas. So, you know, it's going to be a destination place. Um, whereas in Newcastle, um, we're just around the corner from Beaumont Street. And I think at the last count on Beaumont Street, there were 75 restaurants and cafes. So it's not like, you, you know, not like you've got no competition. <laughs> it's yeah. all there. If you're looking for your next barbecue smoker or grill, Jagged Woodfired has got what you need. Owners Julianne and Glenn are multiple award-winning barbecue competitors who have even travelled to the US to compete at the World Barbecue Championships in Houston, Texas. Based out of Perth and shipping nationwide, Jagged is one of the largest pit builders in the country and has an ever-growing lineup of meat cooking machinery. Not only do they have their now famous smoker ovens, their incredibly efficient gravity-fed cabinets are proving extremely popular in commercial settings, and they also make some of the most stylish asado grills you're ever going to see. Jagged is also well known for amazingly detailed custom work ranging from backyard designs all the way to installations in commercial kitchens. Proudly Australian designed, owned and manufactured, you can find out more at jaggedwoodfired.com.au spelled J-A-G-R-D. Once again, head to jaggedwoodfired.com.au spelled J-A-G-R-D to learn more. Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. 
So, Rob, you're not only running uh, uh, food trucks, food trailers, you've got the lot in Newcastle, the lot in Broke, the lot in Penrith, you've got two restaurants on the go, you're building pits for yourself and other people. You're also now an event promoter as well. You've got, uh, we briefly mentioned some of them before, you've got the Smoke in Broke and Meat in Mudgy. Tell us the, yep. tell us the story about how you started or, or even why you decided to add that to the plate of, uh, of, of what you're doing. Well, well, Smoke and Broke were first. Um, we, we've got a massive park in Broke um, that sort of sits adjacent to all the housing and the, and, the, and the residential area, and it backs onto the Wallamai Brook, which runs through town. And it's crown land that's owned by the people, so it's owned by us as residents, but it's managed by the government, and it was basically a gift um, uh, to, to the people. So um, it's free camping there for three nights for anybody who wants to come through Broke and stay. Um, you get to camp there. There's a couple of toilets. There's no showers or anything, but it's just a, you know, a couple of toilets for the amenities. Um, the park's quite large. And we, we bought our house here in Broke in 2009, 2008, and we'd never lived here before. And when I started the business, or when Randy and I started the business in 2016, we relocated back to Broke to live here. And we were driving past the park and, at that time, we'd been doing a comp in, a te- in Texas for a while called the Half Moon Cook-Off, which is in China, Texas. So if you ever had China, that's where the brewery is in China, Texas. And they do a competition on the July 4th long weekend. And, you know, they have 125 cook teams. This is a massive event and it's held in their local park. And basically we thought we could do something very similar to that cook-off in our local park, you know. Um, so we did. We called it Smoking Broke. Um, the first year, we, we expected about 1,000 people to come. I think we had about 4,000 people come the first year. And then, wow. um, and, uh, yeah, we just undercated and, you know, had no idea what we were doing. So we just had no, no real thoughts or concept of the amount of people that would come through. Uh, the very next year, we ran it again. We had a bigger footprint. Um, you know, about 9,000 people came. Um, we had more teams, more prize money, more food. The event was fantastic. Um, obviously, we missed a year in 2020 due to the lockdowns. And this year, um, we had to limit the amount of people this year due to some of the, the lockdown restrictions and things. But certainly, um, we ta- we maxed out um, what we could have. So um, we still hit about that 9,000 people over the weekend mark. And um, the idea being now that um, the local council, single councils on board, they've been a partner for the last three years or last three events. and. They're, on, they're booked in for another three years now. I want to be involved again. Um, so we're trying to grow it um, to a point of nearly close to sort of you know, you know, 10,000 people a day um, um, size event. So uh, make, it, make it the marquee event of the sing, Singleton calendar. Um, it's on the June long weekend. It's perfect because you can have fun Friday and Saturday and recover and drive home Monday afternoon and not miss any work. Um, you know, most of the teams stick around um, Sunday night and have that after competition function or after competition drinks, which you don't get at most comps that finish on a Saturday or a Sunday and have to drive home to get back to work. Um, you know, we have teams from oh, we would have had teams from Victoria this year, but they couldn't come. We had teams from we had teams from um, Queensland, um, we had teams from South Australia, um, so we had teams from all over come across. And um, it's a really, really good event. You know, it's a real family-friendly event, live music, craft beer, um, 
plenty to see and do. And we've got some really, really big things planned for 2022 to grow that again. Um, but yeah, so it's a, it's certainly, um, it's, it's a brainchild of ours, but it's mainly my wife that does all the work. Like, like I, I just say what I want to do. And then she sort of said, Oh yeah, we can do that or we can't. So it's, um, <laughs> she, she's the one that does all the hard work, mate. I just sit on the microphone and look pretty. Fair enough. So you're the dreamer. She's the schemer. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much. Yeah. She, <laughs> she finds all the money to make it happen. And you know, we're not, a, it's not a committee. Um, we get it. We get some, we get some sponsorships, which is really good. Um, the supporters that we have had have been fantastic, but generally it's, it's basically funded, you know, 90% of it's funded by us. Um, it's a lot of money to outlay cause there's nothing there. There's no power. There's no water. There's no fencing. Um, it's all got to be bought in. Um, and then to top it off, the whole concept of the event, I think it's one of the only events um, where the patrons can taste the competitors' food. Um, so what makes us fairly unique, we've got a pretty good council that likes to work with us. Um, I put mass on the line um, with my insurance and our food safety supervisor certification. And basically we set it up so um, the teams can give away their food for a token and that token's purchased for two bucks um, and the proceeds of all the tokens and all the tastings go to the local school. So this year we raised about 9,800 bucks for the school. Wow. Um, the school is school of 60 kids in, in broke. And um, so I think in 2019 we raised 7,318 this year we raised 9,800 and then hopefully we can get to about 12 grand in 2022 um, just to give them some influx of cash. They can do whatever they want with it. Um, you know, if they buy the kids all an iPad or laptops or get some technology for the school that they don't have compared to some of the bigger schools. Um, yeah, so, and, and, and what we do there also is we don't just expect the, the teams to supply their own meat. We have a cool room full of meat that they can come and take meat out of for nothing and um, take away and cook. And so, you know, they can show their own techniques, their own sources, own rubs, whatever they want to do. Um, so, yeah, we supply it with steak, chicken wings, you name it, rump cap bloody pork necks, yeah, whatever whatever we can get um, in the weeks leading up to it. We stock a full room, cool room full of it and they just go to town. Right. And is that the food that they give out to the public or is that the food for the actual competition itself? Like do you supply the competition? Uh, no, no, that's just food for the public. So the competition food, they supply their own food for their own competition, but we do encourage them whatever's left over doesn't go in the box for the, for the public to try. But this is just add-ons because we figured if you have 100 teams, 100 teams aren't going to probably be able to feed 7,000 people. Um, but if we supplied them with some extra meat, say a couple hundred chicken wings, each, each partner could get a chicken wing for their token as well. So it sort of just boosts up that competition food. Yeah, yeah that's incredible, yeah. So all, so all, of, the, uh, all of the teams then, they're, they're riding on your food licence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, wow. It's like, you know. So, so site inspections are going to be really strict at your competition then. Oh well, so the ABA has always been pretty good with their site inspections to make sure they do that. But the council will actually go around to all the participating teams and do a council inspection as well. So basically, they're looking for sanitizer, hand washing, marquees on you know flooring on the marquees, three side walls, that sort of thing. So just to, to tick off the compliance with a temporary food store. Um, so they they have a you know it's. It's not like they just give me free reign. Like it's, it's certainly looked after and and um and quite well run. We we do try to make sure we 
you know, we're not always going to be able to hit the hit the bill of what the laws and the rules are, but we certainly try to comply. Mate, that's so much better than what they do to here uh, do here to us on the Gold Coast. Here, if we want to have a competition every, and, and we want to give away food to the public, every single team has to have a food license, and the application starts at a thousand dollars. So yeah, yeah, that's see when we first approached the council about doing it this way in two thousand and seventeen. We um two thousand eight, I don't think it was. Um, one of the ways we worked out how to do it was by selling a token, right? It's similarly to me if I go and buy a plate of salad somewhere, and I walk over and I get my meat from three different stalls. Like it's you know like so it's just like that buffet set up somewhere. And so how I put it to the council was well by buying a token over here, they're buying their tasting. So they buy ten tokens, they buy ten tastings. Where they pick those tastings up, it doesn't matter. You know, um, so I hold the responsibility because I sold them the token, so I take it away from the the, the, the the competition team, and you know, what's what's a bit of jail time, <laughs> mate? With all the different projects you've got on the go, I'd say that would be a pretty significant. Uh, uh, It'd be a holiday. The they get a holiday. <laughs> <laughs> be careful what you wish for, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and true. so the uh, the the other event that that you then added to the um to the to the plate was uh, meat in Mudgee. Tell us about yep. meat in Mudgee. So we used to live in Mudgee when we first moved back. Um, I took a job in the coal industry over with Glencore, and um, we love Mudgee. Mudgee's like a little suburb of Sydney, just three hours away from it. It's fantastic, and. Um, and we always wanted to hold a barbecue competition. When we got into the barbecue competitions, we thought it'd be a great place to have one. Um, the council got on board and we ran Meat and Mudgy in 2019. Um, 2018, obviously, we couldn't due to, you know, and then 2021, we decided to hold off because it was just getting the back end of it. And we thought, well, if we're going to launch it again, we'll wait till 2022. Um, it was a great little comp. It was a one-day comp, um, you know, craft Live music, barbecue, again, very similar setup to, to Smoking Broke, but smaller. Um, and, you know, again, it's, it's just that, um, I don't know, real country town feel. A lot of people from out west that don't really see a lot of that stuff. So Crafted Live was in Orange in 2016, and we hadn't had a barbecue comp sort of west of the Great Divide um, since then. So it had been a long time. So a lot of the people that went to Orange and Crafted Lied came to Mudgy, meet at Mudgy. And um, I thought Crafted Lied was a great little event. It was, a, it was one of the first ones they'd run um, out there in Orange. For, and, and so we sort of pity back three years off, you know, three years later off the back of that. And mate, there's people coming from everywhere. And it was really, really good. We try and, um, we try and make our ticket prices quite cheap um, so that people come inside. Um, they get the live music, we cover our costs, but they, they, they support the vendors more so than trying to make money at the gate. Um, I'd rather them come in and spend 10 bucks to get in than spend 200 bucks on food as opposed to spending 50 bucks at the gate and then going, oh, well, I'll buy the cheaper burger because I don't want to, you know, and, and they eat three times. If they charge a cheaper ticket, they eat three times, well, the vendors all make money, you know, and the vendors are happy. I've been to plenty of events where the vendors always walk away and they go, oh, you know, I was in a bad position or no one bought my food. And it's like, well, you know, that's maybe you've got to offer something different or lower your prices a little bit. But hopefully with the way we set up our events, is it's, it's quite reasonable for a family to go and get a ticket to come in, but then they can spend their money inside so the vendors do well. You know, that's mm. the at end of the day. It's about the punter having a good time and getting value for money. 
but also the vendors who have invested their time to come for the weekend get a return on their investment as well. Yeah, definitely. You, there's uh, there's always that that balance that needs to be struck, isn't there? Hundred percent. Yeah. You, you, obviously, you don't want to throw money away, and you can't do it for nothing. But you've got to, you know, you've got to take into account both sides of the fence, especially when you're a promoter. When I just go and vend, and I'm just a vendor, my whole goal is to outsell every other vendor there. Don't worry. You know, that's 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 my goal. But you know, if I'm there to help someone else, I can help them out, and that's what we do in the barbecue community. We always make sure that we can help people out. Um, you know, we did an event up at the Sunshine Coast for Julian um, a couple of years ago and um, he ran out of pork. So we gave him some pork shoulders to keep going. You know, like that sort of stuff is what we, we do as vendors. We always try and make sure that people have got the opportunity just like we do. Um, but at the same token, our goal is there to make money. Whereas as a promoter, um, my goal is to make sure that all the people that come, come back again next year. So the vendors want to come back, the, the punters want to come back because that way it grows. You know, if half your if half your population, half your vendors don't want to come back, and half your punters don't want to come back, your event, your event's never going to get any bigger. So, no, no, it's uh, it's it's kind of a, a hard ask to try and keep everybody happy, though, isn't it? It is. It is. Oh, yeah. You you and you and you you know you'd probably bloody flog yourself to death trying to, but it's certainly something. It's a goal of ours, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Now there's there's two big events that uh, that I feel are missing from the barbecue scene, and I'm wondering if maybe your events might be able to fill those shoes. One is Port Mac, and the other's got to be the Invitational. So, do we? Is there any potential there, or am I maybe touching on something that we're not supposed to talk about yet? Oh, is there no, any way no, of? Uh, I think. Oh, I think. Um, there's a lot of talk after 2019 that Smoking Break would become the new Port Mac. And, um, you know, I filled a lot of phone calls and a lot of information from teams about how we could make that happen. Um, and my response was Port Mac is a beast of its own. And I, I, you know, Jay Beaumont started the Port Mac Barbecue Wars, was one of the first competitions we ever had in Australia. And I don't think you can ever emulate or change what that was. You know, we all camped in a caravan park. It was live music, craft on top of each other, you know, and it basically was an event for some teams that went for six, seven days that they stayed there. You know, they, they got there a couple of days early, they left a couple of days afterwards. So to try and emulate and, and make that again, I think is probably a false pretense. I just don't think you could ever do it. You know, it's like having that weekend bending when you're 18 and then go and try and do it when you're 38. You know, it's, it's never going to happen. You know, you're never going to have that <laughs> glory night again. It's always going to be a letdown. Um, and... The Invitational, I think the, the guys at Black Bear Barbecue do a great job with the Invitational and I, I certainly think it will be back. They, they will run it um, again. Um, we were there in 2019. I um, really enjoyed it. Um, they did a great job. It was stinking hot. There was fire bands and they still managed to pull it off. Um, so, you know, I think the Invitational's better off in a location like Sydney. It's central. If people are flying in and flying out, there's, there's airports there. Um, you know, Western Sydney's got a really good climate for people that love barbecue, love, be, um, you know, motocross and that sort of stuff. Um, and it's only going to grow out that way. I, I wouldn't move the Invitational. I think Sydney's a central point for people from Queensland, um, people from Perth that want to fly over. They can get cheap flights. Um, you know, international teams can get into Sydney quite easily and, and, and get around. Um, a lot of teams come from Sydney who can help them out with gear and stuff like that. So, you know, I, to me... Port Mac Barbecue Wars is Port Mac Barbecue Wars. Um, the Invitational 
I think the guys at Black the Barbecue have done a really good job of, of, of taking that on and, and keep rolling it. And I think they should keep rolling it. Um, and, um, yeah, smoking broke, smoking broke. And, you know, I don't want to – I'd like to leave it how it is. You're listening to the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with massive barbecue nerd Ben Arnott. Alrighty, Rob, we're now into the uh, third part of the show. And in this part of the show is where we, we get our guests to impart some wisdom, share some knowledge, set, uh, teach some tips and, and, and tricks to our listeners and our viewers. And today you wanted to talk about brisket. And I'm super excited about this because your brisket is dead set, some of the best I've ever had. So I'm going to just sort of throw it over to you. I'm going to listen, make some notes and ask some questions a bit later on. No worries. Well, we use, um, we use two types of brisket. Um, so generally, um, our brisket will come from um, Wingham Exports. So we use a Wingham Reserve product um, out of Wingham. Um, and if we can't use theirs, um, it'll be Oki Reserve or Angus Reserve from Queensland, which is their basic NH Foods owns Oki and Wingham. And so when Wingham can't supply us with their grain-fed brisket, we get the Oki or the Angus Reserve product. Very similar. A um, bit of size difference from the Oki and the Angus Reserve. They're quite, they're quite larger. But in essence, when they're all cooked up, you know, you probably can't tell the difference as much. Um, both really good fat content, good fat coverage. Um, when I'm selecting a brisket, I certainly want it to be fairly soft in the bag, not hard. Um, if I'm going to choose one brisket, basically, you know, we, we buy by the pallet load, so we don't really get to go and choose just whatever comes. But um, if I was going to go and choose one brisket, I'd make sure it's fairly soft in the bag, fairly pliable, um, not a lot of blood in the bag. Um, you know, it's okay to have some some blood, but I don't want something that's been sitting on the shelf for th- three or four months. Um, you know, I know the comp guys will probably age briskets for that long, but they're, they're looking for that specific one-bite tenderness factor, whereas when you're trying to cook something at home to feed the family and you're trying to get that nice slice, that nice bite, um, you know, a couple of weeks' age is fine, you know, so you don't want any longer than that. Um, one of the key factors with our brisket, we use a salt and pepper rub, um, heavy on the pepper. So we're talking about probably 70% pepper, 30% salt. And depending on who's rubbing, so if my wife's um, seasoning briskets, it might be a little bit heavier on the salt. Um, if I'm seasoning briskets, I'm probably heavier on the pepper. Um, if Dion Allen's doing them, he's probably that in-between marker between both of us. Um, I really like pepper. I think um, you know it's probably that central Texas barbecue roots of where I learned to cook. Um, a lot of the guys I worked with over in Texas were very heavy with the pepper. Um, you know, you, you sort of, over time, you probably get a little bit of, after 30 years, you probably get a little bit of immunity to how much pepper you put on it. So you just more and more pepper, more and more pepper. Um, and you sort of look at like what, you know, Louis, Louis Mueller at Mueller Barbecue is doing with 90, 90, 10, 90% pepper, 10% salt. So, um, you know, I sort of got to that point where we were about 90, 10, but we have, we have backed off a little bit. Um, just because I, I like it like that doesn't mean the customers like it like that. But so we we don't sit our briskets out, um, let them come to room temperature. We trim them, we rub them, we put them straight in. Um, we run a clean fire, about 250 degrees Fahrenheit, about 125, degrees Celsius for the people who are in Australia who don't like to use Fahrenheit. Um, and basically for the first sort of eight, nine hours, we don't look inside the cooker. Um, we don't spritz. Um, and a lot of people do. Um, um, if you only cook them one brisket on a small smoker, I'd run a water pan and I'd look every two or three hours and maybe give it a spritz. 
because we're using such big smokers, there's a lot of moisture already in there inherently due to, due to the evaporation of the briskets. We don't tend to feel the need to spritz um, and we tend to feel that sometimes it washes off your rub um, when you do it. Um, and it's pretty hard to spritz 60 briskets evenly and you know without losing too much temperature. So we tend to just leave the door shut and after about sort of that six, seven hour mark, we'll open up the doors and start having a look and see what, what's happening. Um, but certainly run a clean fire and we're looking at the exhaust more than we're looking at a temperature gauge. So out of our stacks, we basically want to look like the smoke is not running. Um, so that's what we're looking for. Okay. We don't want to see any white puppy smoke or any black smoke. Um, we want to see just clear haze coming out through the stacks as though there's not even a fire lit in the firebox. Um, and I think that way you get that nice clean um, smoke flavour across your meat. Um, you really get a, a, a complement to what you're doing. So not only are you seasoning the meat with salt and pepper or whatever rub you're going to use, but you're also going to be seasoning the meat with whatever smoke you put across that protein. Um, so the cleaner the fire you run, the, the smoke will still adhere to the, and you still get a smoke ring, but that'll be the chemical reaction as opposed to trying to bash it with too much dirty smoke. Right? Um, we wrap in foil. Um, we do the Texas crutch. Um, we wrap probably about an hour after the brisket gets through the stall. So I know the Texas crutch has developed to push briskets through the stall. So to get them from that 155, 160 mark up to the finished temperature and to make it go faster, we, in essence, are basically wrapping post that point to help tenderise. Um, our briskets and, and break them down, break down those proteins and break down that collagen, those fats and those sinews that won't break down at lower temperatures. And so we tend to wrap about that 170, 175 Fahrenheit mark. Um, and a tell for me when I wrap is that the fat's really softened up. So with my finger, I'll push on the fat all over the brisket. And if it starts to, the crust breaks away and the fat's translucent underneath and it's soft, now it's time for me to wrap that brisket. I've set the bark, the seasonings melted into the fat, and then I'm, I'm happy with the colour. I'll wrap it in foil, put it back in the smoker, and then um, probably over two or three hours later is when we'll start probe for tenderness. And um, we're not looking for temperature. We're just looking to make sure that through the foil, we don't open the foil, but through the foil, there's like nothing behind the foil. So we use a javelin probe. Um, we poke through the foil in four or five different places. Any resistance at all past the foil, they just stay on. Um, the other tell we've got, if you pick them up in a bag with your hands and they sort of really jelly-like inside the bag, you sort of got, if you picked up one hand, you think it's going to fall apart. So pick it up with two hands, jelly-like, you're pretty much done. It's a good tell. Um, but certainly um, probe tenderness, anywhere from sort of that 205 to 215 Fahrenheit, you know, we're talking about that 97 to 98 degrees and even above 100 degrees Celsius um, sometimes for some briskets. Um, and each brisket will be different. So we, as I said, we don't cook for time. Um, generally, on average, our briskets from start to finish, by the time they go on the smoker to the time they come out, would be anywhere from 15 to 16 hours. Um, and then the biggest key for consistency for us and what I try and teach when we do master classes and stuff is when I take a brisket out of a smoker, I open the foil up at either end. We've got a, a technique we use to wrap. We crimp the ends. So I don't, I don't unwrap the whole brisket. I just uncrimp the ends to let it vent. And it'll probably sit out on a bench for three or four hours. Okay, and vent. All right, just vent. 
and we want to stop the cooking process. We want it to cool down to about 145, 150 degrees Fahrenheit over that period of time. And we want it to cool down slowly. If it cools down slowly, as it's cooling down, all that algae and all that moisture that's sitting in the bottom of the foil starts to suck back up into the brisket. Rightio. If we only vent it for an hour, then seal it up and put it in the cooker, it's going to be too hot for too long to any of that juice to suck back into the brisket. And the perfect eating temperature for me is about that 150, 155 degrees Fahrenheit. So if anything, before about the serve, we'll throw them back in the smoker or in the in electric warmer and let them hover about that 150 degrees Fahrenheit. And um, But they we try and serve them fast enough so they don't have to worry about it by that stage. But um, after that four or five hours, crimp the fall back up into an esky or a cambro, um, in your oven at low temperature, that 60 degrees Celsius um, low temperature, and um, certainly look at um, giving it a couple of hours of rest in there as well. So vent it for a couple of hours, then rest it for a couple of hours. So in essence, our briskets are probably 20 hours, 25, 22, 23 hours before we, from cooking to, to, to eating. Wow. Yeah, so it's certainly something I learned um, by spending a bit of time in Texas and I um, had a good chat with Aaron Franklin um, in his pit room and he was putting briskets on 11 o'clock in the morning to be eaten the next day um, and they open at 11 o'clock the next day. And, um, and I was I sort, of, sort of sat there and I thought, you know, I was doing the math in my head about, you know, and, and his, whole, his whole process of when he says if you cook more proteins, it just takes longer. The more brisket you've got in there, the longer it takes. Um, it's so true. Like if we're going to cook one brisket at 250 degrees Fahrenheit, you're probably done in nine hours and, you know, call it good. You'd be eating in 12. Um, but certainly it's a 24-hour it's a process for us to, to cook briskets. And, and um, we, you know, the product's consistent. It's got good flavour. Um, you know, we had a lady come in to the bus on the weekend and she's on a keto diet. And she said to us, um, oh, I'm having a cheat day. Can I have some brisket? I'm on a keto diet. And, you know, we sort of went, what? You know, like, why wouldn't you be able to have our brisket on a keto diet? And she goes, oh, the sugar in the rub. And we had to explain that we don't use sugar in the rub. And she goes, well, how's it so sweet? And I said, that's because the fat's rendered with the salt. And the chemical reaction of that happening brings out the sweetness of the fat. And that's, that's beautiful. That's what we want to hear. That sugar cookie crust is what we aim for at every, every brisket we cook, you know. You want that peppery note, that sugar, that salty, sweet bark, tender beef, and it should taste like beef. And um, to hear her think that we put sugar in our brisket rub was really good to hear. So, <laughs> I don't doubt that at all, man. Mate, those were some fantastic tips. Thank you for, for explaining all those details for us. That was beautiful. Yeah, no, I, you know, I've got no secrets in barbecue. Um, you know, it's, uh, I've, I've, yeah, we, I've got the corn casserole recipe. That's a secret. And the pecan pies recipe is a secret because I don't own them. But um, everything else, um, uh, I've, everything else is just open slavery. If someone wants to learn something, you know, happy days. Ring me up, ask me, send me a message. Um, you know, brisket's a hard thing to cook. But once you nail it, that tenderness thing's the hardest bit to nail. You know, and once you nail it a couple of times, you, you sort of throw your probe away and go, right, where's my toothpick? You know, I'll start using a toothpick instead. because. If you're cooking to temperature, each brisket is going to be different. You know, you, you might get a brisket that's got a lot of fat in it, it's finished at 195 degrees Fahrenheit. You, 
might have one that's a you know a bit leaner, might needs to push a bit further, that might need a little bit of beef stock added to it when you wrap it. So no, each brisket, each piece of meat's different. Each cow lays differently, eats differently, walks differently, and um, you know it's one of the one of the reasons like I like to use Wingham Exports and and um, you know Grant Coleman runs Oki up there in Queensland now. One of the reasons why I like to use their briskets they're so consistent in terms of the size they come off. Um, I did a competition down the Angus competition down in um, uh, Wodonga there a couple Wodonga, of years ago. Yeah, yeah and um, I remember talking to one of the guys who runs the feedlot that supplies the cattle to the Oki abattoir, and he said it's like their little lemmings. You know, the, the, the stuff that comes out of the feedlot, you you couldn't tell them apart. They're running up that that race to get on the to truck or to get on the train, and they're like lemmings. You know, the size, the weight, everything about them is just so consistent. And I love to hear that because you just know when you get a box of their briskets that you're going to get three briskets pretty much the same size. You know, and and that makes cook times easier. It makes trimming easier. You know, it's um, it's really good. That's fantastic, man. That sounds so good. All right, we've just got a couple of questions here that I'm going to put to you. Um, over on Facebook, Rod Ribney Harvey wants to know, what's your best advice for someone wanting to get into pop-ups? Oh, <laughs> what's my best advice? Um, if you're going to do pop-ups, I when I first started, I had these ideas of, having a menu that was going to have bloody, you know, this, that, and the other, and it was going to have, each dish was going to have its own, you know, different flavoured coleslaw and was going to have a different sauce. And, you know, if you had 10 items on there, each thing was going to have a unique element. And um, I soon learnt that if I was going to get into pop-ups and be successful, everything had to be repeatable and I had to be able to use it on a couple of different items. So I had a good mate that was a head chef, Tim Michaels, at a, he's in Queensland now in Brisbane. Um, runs a runs a good little brasserie up there now, um, Kenton Road Bistro. But um, if you, he told me he said try and make sure every element can be used at least three or four times across your menu. Okay, so instead of carrying, um, you know, a salad for this sandwich and a and coleslaw for this sandwich, just use coleslaw or salad, you know, and use it on every sandwich, and don't carry three different bread rolls and six different sauces. Just nail it down to have three sauces. One slaw, you know, one side, one type of pickles, and limit the amount of ingredients you have, because it does two things: it lowers your input costs, and it lowers the choices the punter has when they get to the counter, because it's all about turnover. You know, you don't want them there going, "Oh, I'll have this and I'll have that, but take that off." You just want them to go, "I'll have a brisket sandwich and a pork sandwich." So when we go to pop-ups, when we write our menu out, we just write pork sandwich or brisket sandwich. We don't even tell them what's on it. That's fantastic advice there, yeah. And I guess it 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 increase your your buying power on those singular ingredients too. If you're buying more of just one thing, then you're going to get it for cheaper. Hundred percent, mate. Yep. Beautiful. All right, we got one more question here. Uh, for someone with an epic level of passion for barbecue that is trying to find a way to live their passion and earn money, what is the best entry point in the industry given the current situation? So with all the different things that, that you're doing, pit building, promoting, food trucks, restaurants, uh, you've, you've got your own rub manufacturing line now. Like what yep. wh- What do you th- – oh, I, I guess this question is asking where do you see the most potential given where we're at at the moment? Oh. That's a really tough question. That's a good one. Um, to to get in, like like a, having passion, having passion's good. Um, you got to have a good work ethic. Like it's hard work, you know. Like um, 
this is the hardest job I've ever had. It's the best job I've ever had. But there's been times where you sit there and go, why the hell am I doing this? Like it's, you know, you, you go to a festival, the weather looks great, then all of a sudden a storm rolls through. And, um, you know, when I lived in America and Canada, it, people came out and ate regardless of if it was snowing in Canada, they still came out. If it was raining in Texas, they still came out. In Australia, a little bit of breeze pops up and people go, I'm staying home. You know, so <laughs> it, 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 it's a tough, tough market to get into. Um, the, the biggest thing at the moment, I'll, I'd stick away from food trucks and, ca- and catering, wedding catering and stuff like that, I think in the current climate. Um, I'd probably hone my skills and, and nail a menu, start getting set up with not, lot, with not a lot of financial input at the moment aiming to get back into the market for events when they come back solidly in 2022. I think that would be the biggest, um, the biggest opportunity. And on the back of that, at the back end of 2022, um, there's going to be a lot of weddings that were postponed from 2020 and 2021 into 2022, where once you've nailed your menu and you've nailed your thing and you've nailed your flavours and everything's really good, then get into that wedding catering catering at the back end of 2022 when um, there's opportunities when people won't be able to cater three or four places at once because there's too many weddings happening on a weekend. Um, you know, there's going to be that push from, you know, from July next year, everyone that's had a wedding cancelled is going to try and get married and there's not going to be enough people to be able to cater them. So I would spend the first part of 2022 just nailing your menu and nailing your systems and then the back end of 2022 look into that catering options. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't be investing money in food trucks and stuff like that. I just don't know if that input cost is going to be too high to recoup any money. Or, you know, if you could do it out of a marquee setup on a cheaper, out of a catering trailer from one of the manufacturers, there's plenty of people out there building smoking trailers which come with sinks and awnings and stuff like that. Um, certainly try and um, limit your input costs because you just don't know what the next three or four years holds with these lockdowns and restrictions and coming in and out, in and out, in and out. And as soon as we open our borders, we just don't know what's going to happen. So, Yeah, it's definitely some, uh, some, some wise wisdom, wise words of wisdom there. All right, so that's probably a good point now for us to start wrapping up the show. So I'm going to throw the studio over to you now. Give some shout-outs, give some thanks, give some praise to people who have helped you out along the way and tell everybody where they can track you down on the internet. Um. Oh, well, first mostly um, as my wife, um, Randy. Um, you know, I wouldn't be doing what I do without her support and certainly her saying, yes, we can do this. Um, I left a pretty good job <laughs> to um, to chase a dream and she'd gone on board and it's become her dream too. So her and I, we, we started this um, with a goal and we, we nowhere near reached our goal yet, but we certainly are going to keep trying. You know, there's, there's, there's so many to mention. It's probably hard to sit here and say, you know, all of them, but, um, the Australian barbecue community is strong and um, we just need to all stick together and, and try and grow it in a positive manner and not focus on the negative stuff so much, I think. Couldn't agree more, mate. Couldn't agree more. Look, thanks for taking time out to, uh, to, to, to come talk to me here in the confessional. I know you're a busy guy. We've just talked about how you've always got at least 12 jobs on at the same time. <laughs> so, uh, mate, thank you for your time and have a good, uh, good rest of your day. No, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. And cheers, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. And I uh, got any questions, hit me up on a direct message or on Facebook, and I'm happy to answer anything.
And there you have it, family. That was Rob from Smoking Hot and Saucy. I am not exaggerating. That guy is everywhere at once on the barbecue scene. Uh, we, so far, we've talked today about his food trucks, his food trailers. He's got uh, three different barbecue joints on the go. He's building two new restaurants. He builds uh, smokers. Uh, he's a he's an event promoter, and he does it all with his wife as a husband and wife partnership. So we're gonna have to get Randy on the show one day, and we're gonna have to find out the uh, the real story behind smoking hot and saucy. I think uh, I, I I could just see Rob chuckling in the green room there. Uh, all right, so before I let you go today, just to remind you of the uh, announcements from the top, huge thanks to Jagged for coming on board as our podcast partner for this afternoon. I've got one of their smokers in the backyard at the moment doing a series of videos for them, and it is beautiful. I absolutely love it a bit, so check them out if you are looking for a new smoker. We do have our free ebook available for you over on the website, The Beginner's Guide to Real Barbecue, so if you're just getting into it, if you're just starting out, go check that out, grab it off the website. It's completely free, and it's a really good read. And a big thanks to everybody who's joined us in the Smoking Hot Confessions barbecue community on Facebook. Not only do we record these live podcasts there, we also just hang out and talk about barbecue and all the other guffers left at the door. So if you're looking for a family-friendly barbecue group to come out and have a good time, and as Rob said, do it in a positive and constructive way, come join us in that group. We'd love to have you there. And of course, if you're watching on the socials later on, do the things for us, the likes, the shares, the comments. Head on over to Smoking Hot and Saucy's profiles. Check them out. Give them a follow as well. And uh, yeah, let's share the uh, let's share the barbecue love. But that's about all we got time for. So until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions. <laughs>